RD Talks, brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Nightmare on a Dark Ocean by John Dyson. Caroline had told Steve many times about the fear that haunted her, but now it was for real. The port of Kruang Raya, on the northern tip of the Indonesian island of Sumatra, was sweltering and packed. The ferry was due to depart at 3pm, but at 5 it still hadn't docked. It was January 19, 1996, and hundreds of people were anxious to reach their homes on the island of Pulaway. Among the crowd were Londoners Steve Nicholson and Caroline Harrison, both 34. Steve, a lean 180 centimetres with smiling blue eyes and dark hair, had known slim, fair Caroline for four years. They had decided to see the world and had crossed the Himalayas, trekked through rainforests and explored Australia. Tanned and travel-weary, they planned to spend a few days relaxing on idyllic pull-away. At last, a rusty, snub-nosed little motor ferry, the Garita, chugged into the jetty. In the mad rush to get on board, both noticed other Western travellers with backpacks. Steve and Caroline got the last seats on deck. As the sun went down, truck after truck reversed down the ramp with bags of cement that were stacked at the back of the vehicle deck. Looking over the side, Steve saw the open deck scuppers sinking to within a few centimetres of the water. Caroline was worried for another reason. All her life she'd been frightened of the sea because of a recurring dream. She was treading water in the dark. There were distant lights. She called out but no one heard. How does it end? Steve had asked. I don't know, I always wake up. The dream was so vivid that as a girl Caroline wouldn't even take a boat trip on the Thames. Snorkelling with Steve had given her confidence. Now she didn't mind boats as long as it was daylight. But when the garita set off, it was already dark. About halfway through the two-hour journey, the ship suddenly slowed. A seaman appeared on deck, ordering people to move to the other side of the boat. Steve and Caroline tried to follow but it was too crowded. This is crazy, said Steve. We'll go inside. They found a space inside and sat down. Caroline swayed as she tried to sit upright. Can you feel that? she asked sharply. The ship was tipping. Slowly the deck levelled again, then tipped once more, steeply. Shrieking passengers started to slide on the tilting floor. The ship's engine stopped and the lights went out. This can't be happening, Caroline thought numbly. Quelling his own panic, Steve told her calmly, Go outside and get ready to jump. I'll find some life jackets. As the ship began a third ponderous lurch, the captain and another seaman reached for the orange life jackets to hand out. They were immediately engulfed by passengers. Steve was knocked flat by the avalanche of screaming people. On deck, Caroline was on the high side as the ship tipped. Clutching a pole for support, she climbed onto the rail. People were throwing themselves into the sea. Some jumped into the water spilling over the low side of the open car deck and fell among the cars that were tumbling over each other, their passengers still inside. Steve! Steve! Caroline screamed. The bottom of the boat is coming out of the water! Hurry! Fighting his way through, Steve glimpsed Caroline in the doorway. He could reach her in a couple of steps, but the floor was rising to the vertical. The open doorway swung over his head. Caroline was gone. Suddenly he was underwater, no time to catch a breath. He was sucked down into a black maelstrom of luggage, chairs and struggling people. It's really happening, he thought. The ship's sinking and I'm drowning. 
Steve headed for where the door had been, then swam up, expecting to break the surface. But his head smashed into a row of chairs bolted to the floor. Again, he lunged headlong to where the door must be. His head hit a wall. He was trapped. Steve's lungs were desperate for air, yet his brain was clear. I've got less than one minute. Don't breathe. Don't open my mouth. Just think. Where in the room am I? Orientating himself by the chairs overhead, he kicked himself forward. His frantic fingers found an open doorway. He went through, and sensing he was in open space, swam on until his lungs were ready to burst. At last, his head broke the surface. But his gasp for air was cut off as a panic-stricken passenger flung an arm round his throat from behind. They both sank like rocks. Steve felt the powerful muscles on the arm round his neck. Another hand had a desperate grip on the nylon money belt round his waist. With time running out, Steve managed to wriggle round and kick the man so hard that his belt and half his shorts were torn away. He came up spluttering and shouted, Caroline! Caroline had been swept into the water into a huge swirl of bubbles. Following them up, she swam as hard as she could. Her contact lenses popped out, so on the surface she saw only a blur of people. Then she heard Steve calling her name. They met and hugged. Blood streamed from Steve's head. Caroline vomited water. A few metres away the ship floated upside down. Steve guided Caroline away. When he looked back, the ship had sunk. Treading water, Caroline tried to lock the desperate fear deep down inside herself. The sea and the sky were black, but there was a string of lights on a distant island. It seemed a familiar scene. Then the realisation hit her. Steve, we're in my dream! Caroline had described it so often that Steve knew the dream as well as she did. He was stunned. At least we'll find out how it ends, he thought grimly. Aloud, he said, Don't think about it, just swim with me. In the warm tropical night, microscopic plankton lit up the sea with a faint glow wherever the water was disturbed. Caroline's hair and Steve's beard sparkled like diamonds. Raising himself in the water, Steve looked over a firmament of death. The hundreds of people fighting to stay afloat were couched in pools of faint green light. As their struggles and cries diminished, the lights faded, then went out. They came to something big and black in the water, a circular life raft floating upside down. Built to hold eight, it had three or four men fighting on top of it and about fifty people clinging to the rope round its side. Steve found a space and hooked two fingers under the rope while Caroline held his other hand and floated alongside. In the glow around them, Caroline saw a white face. It was Margaret Crotty, a 23-year-old American who worked for the local Save the Children Fund. As the sea flooded the ferry, she had fallen and been trapped inside a locker. She could not quite remember how she'd escaped, but both her feet were badly gashed. Isn't this the kind of thing that makes lifelong friends? Steve said cheerfully. Margaret grinned. You can count on it, she said. The captain would have radioed for help before we sank, Steve said. They'll send search parties out for sure. He knew it was important to buoy their hopes. As a teenager, he had been passionately interested in survival and had read every book on the subject. Survival is not about physical strength, he recalled. It's your mind that keeps you going. If you panic, you can't think straight. We have to get these guys to calm down, he told Margaret, pointing to the men struggling on the raft. With Margaret acting as interpreter, he told everyone to get off so they could turn the raft the right way up and let on more survivors. 
But as three men got off the raft, even more clamoured on. Steve realised it was hopeless. If this thing pops, he warned, swim away fast, because all these people who can't swim will grab you. Suddenly they saw streaks of light in the depths below and felt the water moving beneath them. All three knew there were sharks. Margaret drew her knees up to her chin. Her feet were leaving trails of blood that would attract sharks. Steve sensed her fear. Keep your feet up and don't pee in the water or splash, because that will attract them too, he said. At around 11.30pm, one of the life raft's two inflated tubes started to hiss. Immediately, Steve kicked off, pulling Caroline with him. We've got to swim for it, he said. Margaret didn't want to leave the raft. The last thing they heard as they swam away was her voice wishing them luck. Pull away was eight kilometres to their right. Several kilometres to their left were two big islands, ending in a string of rocks marked by a lighthouse. Swimming lazily to save energy and helped by the current, Steve and Caroline turned towards the lighthouse. What looked like an orange bag floated by. Steve grabbed it. You won't believe this, he said. It was a life jacket. Laughing with joy, they laid it flat so each could hold it. Lightning flashed in the clouds and by 3am the waves peaked and started to break. Steve saw lights to the right. One green, one white. It's a ship, he said. Let's go for it. After 20 minutes, they were near enough to the fishing boat to see the tiny wheelhouse on the stern. About 100 metres from it, they shouted. Steve blew the life jacket's whistle. Abruptly, they heard the roar of an engine. The boat turned away and disappeared. You bastards, come back, Caroline yelled uselessly, then sobbed with dismay. Why did God give them hope only to take it away? Dawn broke with a rush. As the sun bathed the island in front of them in golden light, Caroline consoled herself irrationally. We're safe now. We won't drown in daylight because it's not in my dream. She gazed at the white beach less than two kilometres away. Why weren't they getting any closer? Horrified, she realised that the strong current was sweeping them past the end of the island. Just beyond was a pinnacle of rock, the last fragment of Indonesia before the Indian Ocean. They paddled desperately, but missed it by 150 metres. Off the last of the islands, they were swept into a tide race of converging currents. Breakers tumbled at them from all directions, smashing over their heads. At last, they were carried out of the chaos. As a big wave lifted him up, Steve looked back. The islands had disappeared. They were alone on a boundless ocean. Steve and Caroline clung to the life jacket and paddled doggedly. Their faces were never out of the rough sea and every wave seemed bigger than the last. We're not drowning, just swimming, Steve told himself. It's an ordinary thing to be doing, just keep going. They had been swimming for 14 hours. In her mind, Caroline had made a plan. I'm going to swim until I'm so tired I won't know I'm drowning. Aloud, she said, I wish I could tell them I loved them back home. A thought struck Steve. Had he told Caroline how much he loved her? Listen, he said, pulling her closer. When we get home, we're going to get married, right? Yes, of course. Caroline smiled wanly. Their limbs were dead tired, skins wrinkled, tongues swollen by thirst. Yet a warm feeling gave her new life. I'm glad Steve's with me, she thought. Hey, look at this. Steve held up a big red tomato. Laughing, he bit a hole in the skin and they took turns sucking out the soft inside. In the next ten minutes, they found a dozen more. 
the blistering sun was exactly overhead when Steve gasped, I can see a boat. Soon he realised it was an oil tanker doing a zigzag search, but they were outside the search area. Their only hope was to predict where the ship would be in a couple of hours and swim to intercept. Buffeted by the waves, Steve and Caroline swam with all their fading strength. They were near enough to see the rust on the huge vessel's dark red sides when it turned. In agony, they watched it recede into the distance. Then Steve saw the silhouette change. It's turning! Here it comes! The ship's bows towered like a cliff as it approached. They heard its engines and saw a crowd of sailors along the railing looking right at them. They can't see us! We must be dead! Caroline gasped. We're too close, they're looking over our heads, Steve said. Thrusting himself out of the water, he waved his arms as the ship passed just 50 metres away. Suddenly, a seaman pointed at them. The ship slowed and came round. A man with a rope round his waist jumped into the water to help them reach the ladder and they were lifted up onto the deck. They had been in the water for over 18 hours. In hospital on the island, Caroline and Steve met Margaret. She had managed to swim to the lighthouse after the life raft sank and was found by police searching the shore by boat. You made it, Margaret exclaimed. Caroline caught Steve's eye and they grinned. We had each other, she said, and took his hand. So this is how my dream ends, she thought happily. Of at least 377 passengers and crew on board the Garita, only about 40 are believed to have survived. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia.